There's a lot of study and strategy that goes into picking a location. And then even for them, picking who their franchisees are, which becomes one of the problems with, with getting into a franchise. The startup costs are generally way higher relative to starting on your own. You can start up a startup business you know, for relatively nothing, depending on what, what, in, what industry you're in. But if you want to start up a similar competing business than a, than a franchise doing the exact same thing the franchise is, I can almost guarantee you, you can do it cheaper. If not for the fact that just alone, most franchises are going to charge you a franchise fee up front when you start the business out just to enter into their network. And that can be as low as, you know, a couple thousand dollars. It can be as high as a hundred thousand dollars. And it's all over the spectrum. But you're gonna be paying that right out the gate just for the opportunity to get into their programs. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. So my wife and I have been going down uh, a bit of a new path for both of us. I consider myself to be an entrepreneur of sorts. Um, I don't like that self-proclaimed title, but I definitely like business. I like the idea of growing something. I like the idea... Uh, of really kind of exploring the creative process. So it's uncharacteristic of me, of all people, to want to explore the franchise idea. But I had been. And I'm not going to spoil what it is, because I think on a, on a future episode, I'm going to talk specifically about the franchise I was looking at. And I'm going to say some bad things about it in this episode. So I don't want to, I don't want to uh, disparage anybody. It just wasn't my thing. For a number of reasons, this particular franchise. So my wife and I have a couple options, and it could be selecting a different franchise. It could be pivoting. But one of the things my wife brought up, which I thought would be a great thing for us to talk about collaboratively, is what a franchise really is, the logistics of going through the process of becoming a franchisee, and what ultimately, you know, what path we chose. It's a bit of a different take than, than a normal you know, entrepreneur or business style conversation. Because keep in mind, I as an attorney have looked at franchise documents and looked at franchises a lot. Me as a banker, I've looked at businesses that were franchises. And I've seen some very, very, very successful people. Spoiler alert, if you want to be a franchisee, you have to have scale. You can't just do it with one location. You've got to have like 10 or 12 to really build the wealth that I think people people really see themselves having. But that being said, there's a lot of pros. There's a lot of cons. My wife and I went through this just as recently as, as today. I plopped down a large amount of money, and I'll tell you what direction we went at the end of this. But let's break it down. 
My wife wanted to go back to work. She's been, uh, she was a critical care nurse. She worked in the CICU, registered nurse. And, you know, frankly, nurses in this country don't get paid enough. And I know there's a lot of political opinions on this. This is not a political statement. Just as a guy whose wife was in the hospital prior to COVID, when, before she had our son, I can tell you that there was a lot of things that she had to endure that I'm not sure I could do. As healthcare, I don't think we pay teachers enough. I don't think we pay, pay healthcare workers enough. My wife was wanted to go back to work, and I wanted her to feel her value, and I wanted to give her the opportunity to explore a franchise. And she's always been in the health and wellness, part of the reason why she became a nurse. But she's a girl, you know. She likes all the girly stuff. She likes taking care of her stuff. She likes going to the spa. She likes all those things. And we found a franchise opportunity uh, that just happened to come up because we knew a lot of people that were going to it. I ran it down for a couple of days. Uh, you know, I, I, I reached out to the to the company, talked to their franchise guy, and there were several key takeaways from the conversation that that I thought were valuable that we could share. There's a lot of pros to having a franchise, right? So you get a turnkey business right out the gate. It's an existing, ideally successful model that comes with a proven track record. You get training programs. You get a supply chain. You get you know allegedly expert technical support. I mean, the success rate in theory is supposed to be better than you starting up a company on your own. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true, particularly coming outside of COVID, you know, coming outside of the pandemic when things are restructuring. But in, in theory, you're supposed to have a better starting chance with a franchise, a structure that's worked before. And you're supposed to have the subject matter experts behind you to help you succeed right from the get go as it comes to where you're going to go density of location of people, what their average income is, you know, what the proximity is, are going to be located near major retail that might help whatever franchise you're into. There's a lot of study and strategy that goes into picking a location. And then even for them, picking who their franchisees are, which becomes one of the problems with, with getting into a franchise. The startup costs are generally way higher relative to starting on your own. You can start up a startup business, you know, for relatively nothing. It, depending on what what, in, what industry you're in. But if you want to start up a similar competing business than a, than a franchise doing the exact same thing the franchise is, I can almost guarantee you, you can do it cheaper. If not for the fact that just alone, most franchises are going to charge you a franchise fee up front when you start the business out just to enter into their network. And that can be as low as you know a couple thousand dollars. It can be as high as a hundred thousand dollars. And it's all over the spectrum. But you're going to be paying that right out the gate just for the opportunity to, to get into their get into their programs, and, and it's it's it adds value. But they also vet who who can become a franchisee. They want to see a minimum net worth. They want to see minimum liquidities when you start a business. So there, there's a lot to kind of unpack as as it you know goes down this path. So I decided I was going to do it. I reached out to this franchise. I gave them my financial information. I meet their financial liquidity net worth requirements, and we started to have a conversation. The first thing they do besides the introductory conversation, which I'm, you know, I'm sure we all hate these conversations where they're a little bit salesy, a little bit introductory. They're not really, there's not a whole lot of value here. Sometimes it feels like you're just having a conversation because you're just, someone's telling you to have a conversation. Well, we did that. And then he sent me, uh, the franchise's representatives, uh, franchise or's representative sent me something known as the FDD. It's the Franchise Disclosure Document. And I've seen a lot of these. And anytime you want to get these, you can get them. You get them and they say, you know, exactly what you think they're going to say. They tell you all about the franchise. They give you all the information you need to know. These are actually regulated by the government. So th there are certain de minimis things they have to be in there. But one of the things you'll find interesting is they're going to give you a full list 
of their range of startup costs. And they always give you a range. It's never like you need X amount of dollars to get this going. It's usually from 300 to 500,000 or you know, 1 million to two, 1.2 million, whatever it is, for whatever business you get into. And they break the cost down to, you know, your tenant improvements for the space that you're going to get into from your, you know, your equipment, your, you know, your licensing, your software, you have everything you could possibly think of to get it started. They have a detailed list. If you start up a business on your own, you're going to have to come up with that list on your own. And not only that, you know, yours isn't tried and true with experience having opened several of these. Yours is just going off of, you know, what your your personal experience and background, you know, may or may not be. So there's definitely some benefits in the, in the FDD documents powerful. It also usually gives you several other similarly, you know, similarly situated locations that, that, that give you their cash flow. And it's usually for, you know, two years. So you get the previous two years financial information for similarly situated locations. And they'll, they'll give you the full breakdown of, of what their EBITDA is, incomes before, income before earnings, <laughs> earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. It's been a long day already. And that EBITDA is supposed to give you an indication of how profitable this thing will be. Now, keep in mind, you operating your business from the franchise is very, very, very tightly, narrowly monitored. You can't go out there and be creative. One of the cons to starting a franchise, besides the overwhelmingly higher costs, is that you also have to pay ongoing franchise fees. In the case of the franchise we were looking at, it was 6%, just straight off the top, gross revenue, 6%, plus 2% and 1% for their marketing funds and, and another takeaway fund. Plus, they also have mandates. So they tell you when you have to do things like remodel or get new equipment or reduce your, you know, your prices for a particular promotion or if they want to buy into something, they do that. And a lot of times, a franchise, a franchisor, somebody who's going to franchise their business and let you have the opportunity to buy in as a franchisee, somebody who operates the business under their name, under their structure, they have to recognize that their number one client is no longer the end consumer of whatever product they're selling. So if McDonald's wants you to, allows you to become a franchisee and you run a franchise for McDonald's, McDonald's client is you. You are their client, keeping you happy. But you have to pay that tax, that franchise tax. You're using their intellectual property, their assets, their model, their structure. But at the same time, you get that massive brand recognition. You get that national advertising. You get that local advertising. You get so many benefits from having that brand name behind you. So you pay that tax. But not all franchises are as strong as something like McDonald's. You really got to think about what it is you're buying. If you're buying into someone's franchise and you're buying it to have a successful path to start off on, but it's a new franchise. That might be questionable, right? Because one of the things that comes in the FDD is the parent company, the franchisor, the person who's giving you the opportunity to buy into their existing business and giving you that structure. It gives you their financial position. And if their financial position isn't exceedingly strong or exceedingly well-known, you got to ask yourself what exactly it is you're getting for, for your dollar other than a model. And in, in the franchise we were looking at in particular, there is a big question mark. Is this a fad? Is this something that's going to go out of style? Is it something that's going to be, you know, drained down by competition? And the answer is we don't know. My wife and I don't know. I'm willing to take that leap to, to try something new. But if I took that leap to try something new with the franchise, I would be limited in my ability to pivot if that particular business was a franchise or didn't do particularly well. So me as an entrepreneur looking at someone else's structure I did what I typically do. I started looking at the, st the statistics, the math, the failure rates. I started thinking to myself that franchise failure rates somewhere between you know 15 to 35% on average. 
Those statistics can be a little misleading, though, because some franchises fail at a rate of just 1%, which in you know theory give you an arguable you know, 99% chance of success, while others can burn at more than 40, you know, 40%. So take that with a grain of salt. But what I will say is really, really strong franchises pick really, really, really strong franchisees. They raise that bar, you know, that barrier to entry, that liquidity, that net worth requirement is so high that they know you're going to be able to persevere and they know they're picking you and they're picking the location. They're being very selective to get you there. Now, clearly not all franchises are created equal. So you need to really, really carefully look before you take that leap into doing it at that FDD document. So much so under federal regulation, they cannot actually sign you up to be a franchisee for 14 days after you sign the FDD disclosure receipt. You get the document, you have you can't do anything with you other than have conversations with you until 14 days later. So you can see how this has a, a pretty significant history and it's very highly regulated. It's not just it's it's important to keep in mind that when you purchase a franchise, it's like buying a blueprint for a successful business. Like all blueprints, it only works if you follow it, and it only works for them if you're loyal to the blueprint. Because if you decide to go off on your own and do your own thing, what's the point of them giving you the blueprint? There is something to be said with, you know, the kind of the modern era. There's, there's corporate level scandals all over the place that can change how a franchise, a brand impacts and it resonates with people. We know about, you know, how some certain mishaps can have negative effects. I mean, look at the owners of, of Chick-fil-A franchises. They had to deal with protests and backlash when the, when the CEO made comments about same-sex marriage. And then there was that whole Jared Fogle thing with Subway and the FBI charged them with, you know, doing all sorts of inappropriate things that I'm not even going to go into to repeating because, damn. Moving on. If you don't want to have your livelihood tied to somebody else's image, you may want to steer clear of a franchise. And when my wife and I are on the precipice of doing this, we, I started thinking about all these things. I started thinking about the numbers. I started freaking out, thinking like, you know what? I don't want to be tied to somebody else. I consider myself to be a smart person. I, I've ran several businesses. I, I, I know how this goes. I still, I still operate all this time. But do I have the time to operate a franchise my way, build a business my way? I don't know. So I started thinking late last night and early this morning, I was talking to my wife about the, the pros the, the, the positive things about starting up a business, right? Sam Walton and Walmart, Bill Gates, Microsoft. I mean, um, you know, John Schneider did it with, with Papa John's and there's tons of people who started businesses from nothing with, you know, no money. It can be significantly less expensive. There's, there's no franchise fee up front. You can control your own costs and you can grow your business as you grow. It doesn't have to have like X, Y, and Z on day one when you open the doors. But you know, the beauty of being self-employed is you can make every decision. You can set your own schedule. You can set the way you want things to run. If you want to sell certain products, you can sell certain products. If you want to have point of sale items that your, you know, your franchisor wouldn't let you have, you can have those. If you want to, if you want to open up a salon or something like that, and you want to, you know, sell auxiliary services that happen to have, I don't know, laser therapy or skincare related to it, you can do whatever the hell you want. You're your own boss, but you got to come up with a brand. You got to come up with your own marketing. You got to manage all of the business. When you start up your own business, there's, there's the cons too. I mean, so much of what you do is unknown. You don't have a pricing model. And the statistics show that 20% of startup businesses don't survive the first year. 20%, about half make it to year five. And approximately 35% last 10 years. 35%. You've got a 65% chance of failure inside of 10 years. 
That's a crazy number. That is a crazy, crazy number. But you know what? Myself as an entrepreneur, it doesn't scare me. And that could be arrogance. I understand that. It could be type A. I'm going to run. I'm going to go do all that stuff. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go right at it, head at it. And maybe, maybe that's the same thing. I don't know. You know, it, it's just one of those things where I'm not necessarily afraid of being an entrepreneur. And, and maybe that's just me saying, you know what? I'd rather have my wife have the opportunity to learn in business and, and to really get a full breadth of things. So I asked my wife, you know, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to, you know, purchase a franchise because the model works? It'll give you a stable, tested model for running a successful business. Is that what you want to do? You know, you have to operate on someone else's schedule. You got to do what they tell you to do. There's a lot of political nonsense. She asked me what I meant. So I said, okay, well, I talked to one of the franchisees of the franchise, I, you know, we were looking to get into. And this guy who started, who just started here a couple of years ago, now owns, you know, I think three franchise locations, operates it profitably. He's not even in the area. He operates these remotely. He's not even there. These are hands off for him. Smart guy. Out of the gate, he tells me he's got problems with the franchise or he's got problems with the CEO. He's telling me straight away, all of my worst fears have been realized by him. And he doesn't know what he doesn't know, but he doesn't like it. They need to form an advisory council of franchisees because the franchisor, the people who own and operate the business, aren't listening. And there's, there's infighting as it relates to how people going from one location to the next location should operate. And my head's already spinning. And I'm telling my wife all this, and she's like, well, damn. That's crazy. You know, what is, our, what is our other option? I said, well, if we have a big idea and, and a solid understanding of, of what we want to do, and I'm not saying that we do yet, you know, we could, we could launch our own startup, call it whatever the hell we want. We don't have to worry about certain, you know, demographics and areas that are zoned within our region that, that we've been afforded by for the franchise, or we can wherever the hell we want. You know, uh, it's it's our own model, however we however we want, wherever we want. And if we wanted to become a franchise at some point in time, we could do that too. But the failure rates are definitely not in our favor if that's the path that we go. My wife reluctantly said, I don't know. <laughs> so what do I do? I get on the phone and I start talking to people that are the suppliers for products. And I start breaking down one of the pages in the FDD document, which shows me the startup costs. I go through it line item by line item, and I eliminate all the things that are franchise specific. And in just doing that alone, in this particular franchise range of, call it 350000 to 575000 in startup cost, I can literally cut out $90,000 just for not going with the franchise. I can save 9% every single month on money not spent paying the franchise fee, paying into their marketing and ad revenue budgets. That's big money. Then I start thinking about all the auxiliary things that we can do and we can change that makes our business model a little bit better, a little bit different, and fit our needs. So I tell my wife, look, I think we're starting to form a really solid understanding of what we want to do. I think we know the feel and luxury that we want to provide. Why would we want to settle for anything less just because it makes money? There's no point in getting into business just because it makes money, because you're going to burn out. There's no point in just getting into a franchise just because you can, and it's a retirement strategy. That is not the purpose of running a business. You should be passionate about your business. You should enjoy building it. I love building companies. I love building a brand. I love geeking out on nuance, colors, palettes, and structure, and aesthetic, and building it. And it doesn't scare me doesn't scare me. It should, but it doesn't. I don't know why. Maybe I'm weird. It just doesn't. So what do I do? 
I put down half the deposit for all the equipment that we're going to need to do what we're going to do. It was a big number, but we're going to do it by ourselves without a franchise. Because as much as that plan, that structure might help somebody, as much as having that there and, and having that confidence and knowing a tried and true tested model with all of their IT and all of their IP and all of their systems and, and, and frankly, all of their network. The way I look at this business is, is that this business can be ran almost autonomously. That's why that gentleman can do it from another state. He's hands off. In my mind, if you can be that hands off for the business, what are you really paying for? If the name isn't that strong and the corporate sponsorship isn't that strong, I'd rather go it alone. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Not saying the franchises aren't great. There are absolutely wonderful franchises out there. Some of my clients have an amazing net worth, just insane cash flow from, from franchises. But again, what I will repeat what I said in the beginning, scale is tremendously important to getting there. Rick Ross, for example, is a, is a, is a wing, uh, not, I'm not sure he's a wing, stop Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that. He's got some wing franchise thing going on and he, um, he's crushing it. But in order to make that cash flow work for him, he had to buy a lot of locations and grow and scale it. So keep that in mind. One of the things to consider if you ever get into a franchise and you don't have a whole lot of cash to put down, you can always get an SBA 7A loan. There are some requirements. They want to make sure they are collateralized for the full extent of the loan. It's a bit challenging, but you can do that. That's out there as an option. Uh, rates will vary you know, pretty dramatically by lender. Usually, you can plan on it working this way. If you go to a lender and it's a really, really difficult process and they're very methodical, you generally get a better rate. And if they're not so tight, you generally get a worse rate. Ironically, it's just kind of the way I found it. SBA loans are great for the banks because they're guaranteed uh, to 90% by the uh, federal government, the SBA administration. And because of that, it's less actual risk for the banks, despite the fact that small business loans generally carry more inherently risk, larger risk, because as I've stated earlier, they go out of business a little bit more frequently than a large middle market uh, company getting a loan would. So some things to think about. My wife and I are going to go at it without the franchise. We're going to go it alone, like I said, and I, in a future episode, will break down what that looks like. We will tell you exactly what franchise we're talking about. We'll tell you the brand, the name, the build, everything that we're doing to build this new business. I'm also going to vlog this stuff a little bit too to share it with everybody because I think starting a business can be overwhelming and complicated. And even as somebody who's done it a million and one times, uh, like I have, and I failed a lot more than I've succeeded, let me tell you that right now, it's still scary. It's still exciting. It's still nerve wracking. It's still you know, all those different feelings all mixed into one. Every single piece of real estate I buy is the exact same feelings all over again. It's just I've had a little more practice than most. So we're going to share that to the extent that we can on, on the vlog. Also, some little minor updates, house cleaning items before I let you go for the day. We're going to start interviewing guests. I've got some wonderful guests lined up, a couple of them in different fields, which I think are really, really cool and powerful. Some of them from the social media realm, some of them from the finance realm, some of them from the educational background, some of them from, you know, Hollywood and entertainment. Really, really, really excited to, to be talking to these people. We're going to get really heavily into that as the next season rolls along. Well, those will be a little bit longer episodes. I'm going to try to keep them about 35 to 40 minutes, hopefully share somebody else's insight because I know that I'm an obnoxious asshole and I'm not always fun to listen to. And if you're listening to me on one and a half time speed, I can totally appreciate that because <laughs> I'm not fun to listen to some days. That being said, I love you. Appreciate you. Remember, like, share, subscribe. Follow me on uh, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all those fun things if you can. But if you can't, I appreciate your time while you're here. Till next week. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. 
Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.